Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's up, everybody? Hey, everyone. So, today we're going to continue on with our continuing series where we read through Invincible by Robert Kirkman. And who's the artist, Drew? This week, we're going through Invincible volumes 12 and 13, if you're reading the trade paperbacks. In terms of issues, it's issues 60 to 70, plus Invincible Returns. Written by Robert Kirkman, most of the issues were penciled by Ryan Otley, but we have... A couple chapters by Corey Walker, Cliff Rathburn, inked Ryan Otley's issues, FCO Placentia colored Otley's issues, Dave McKegg colored Corey Walker's art, Russ Wooten was the letterer. Yeah, we are diving back into the world of Invincible. When we last left off, one of the big plots was Angstrom Levy gathering an army of these alternate Invincibles. Yeah. And for some reason, I guess they were all twisted or evil. Yeah. And they were going to help him get his revenge on our Invincible. Yeah. I mean, that was legitimately the last page of where that last trade paperback ended, mm-hmm. which was him revealing that he's just got, I don't know, wasn't it something like in the ballpark of like 80, 80 Invincibles from across the multiverse? Uh, I don't remember if there was a specific number, but yeah, it was okay. it was just a bunch. Yeah, and um, yeah, uh, just you know, as a reminder to to all of you, Angstrom Levy was the uh, the villain who who started out as a a guy who could basically cross from other dimensions, but due to an experiment gone wrong, he ended up being uh he ended up being warped and going insane and of course swearing revenge against invincible and the last time we saw him uh invincible we thought he had been beaten to a pulp but apparently he hadn't (laughs) yeah he somehow survived and yeah managed to gather up an army comprised of alternate reality invincibles and now he's back for revenge yep like that's right where we right where we pick up actually in 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 volume twelve. Yeah, yeah, it's was, it was pretty surprising. <laughs> yeah, because usually, uh, I guess we've been accustomed to subplots that run for months and months, or you know, just a bunch of issues at at once before, uh, or a bunch of issues occur that don't that's let the, the that don't resolve it immediately. Simmer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So with this, like we said in uh, volume 11, it ends with just the revelation that Angstrom Levy is still alive and he has this army. And then right at the beginning of uh, volume 12, the army's already in the middle of invading and they've just caused a massive butt ton of damage. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the funny thing is, too, is that this Invincible War takes place Basically within the span of issue 60, just one issue, like yeah. for for all the potential for this thing to drag on out pretty long, it ends up taking one issue, but it's a pretty fun issue, man. Like this is, these two volumes of Invincible are probably the most action packed that we've seen the book, you know, like it's just 
battle after battle after battle and not really much of a chance to slow down and catch your breath or check in on too many of the different supporting cast members. Yeah, they do kick it up a notch to the next level, you know? Totally. Yeah. One of the things about the battle within, uh, with all the Invincibles was the cameos from yeah. all these other image superheroes, <laughs> all these creator-owned characters. Yeah. You see uh, the famous image characters like Spawn and Savage Dragon. Shadowhawk. Yeah. yeah. Was he <laughs> of all of the characters, Shadowhawk was in there. <laughs> yeah. Cyberforce, Witchblade, yeah. Pit, yeah. Youngblood. It went deep, man. It went pretty deep. Yeah. You also saw characters that I wouldn't have associated with this world, like Jack Staff and, and Mike Allred's Madman. Yeah. But I, I, think, I, I think they were in there just because, well, number one, they're creator-owned, so Kirkman got permission. And then secondly, I I think Image was publishing their books at the time these issues originally came out. So kind of makes sense. Yeah. It truly felt like, uh, I, I guess, that feeling that they try to elicit when they when they do when they try to set the foundation for shared universes in movies or in 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 comics. Um, mm-hmm. This for for Invincible, this was definitely the shared universe moment for them. You know, yeah, uh, establishing that all these characters exist together without uh without uh doing without doing too much um over explaining you know yeah exactly yeah. It, it doesn't really matter who a lot of these characters are all that yeah. really matters is that they're out there in the world fighting these alternate invincibles because there's just so many of them yeah it takes the entire world like all of the superheroes in the world have to be out there fighting these invincibles yeah all of these invincibles are you know they're just crazy powerful they're super strong at least just as strong as the the real invincible yeah so the destruction that they're causing across the planet is immense it's it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff we talked about in our last episode when we were talking about Inuyashiki, and we mentioned stuff like the authority and how there was so much, you know, widespread widescreen destruction. You know, like the the way that the damage to the cities were, was portrayed in in those books was really done in this cinematic way, where you could really absorb the the scale of it, and the art depicted a lot of, uh, you know, gruesomeness and and debris and just yeah just a lot of stuff being destroyed and and cities getting crushed buildings getting messed up and destroyed so there was there was a lot of that going on it's it's like kind of a a destruction sandwich oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice nice did um, you enjoy seeing some of those image characters yeah for sure man i mean you like seeing Spawn? Well, I, like I had to mention Shadowhawk because, you know, he's someone who hasn't been a regular staple in comics in like years. 
he occasionally pops up here and there, you know, but for the most part, he's the guy is a he's an artifact or something, you know. Yeah. Um, so to see him in there, that that tickled me, man. It was like, oh, he's the world is in such dire straits. They are so devastated by this invading army of supermen that they even needed to call Shadowhawk <laughs> to come fight. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I think it's I think this calls for a tangent, man. We gotta talk about some Shadowhawk now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there really isn't much uh to say like except for the fact that well, I I, I feel like I've gone I I've I've given this uh, rundown before, but you know, in the early days of Image, when they were creating all these, when when all the big names uh, artists left Marvel and uh, I assume DC as well, like when they decided to go off on their own and start their own thing, um, Jim Valentino decided that his his guy was going to be Shadowhawk, you know. So you had guys, you had Youngblood, you had Spawn, Savage Dragon, and their batman type of character you know their street level character was Shadowhawk, and the thing about him was that he didn't kill his enemies what he did was if you were a criminal if you were villainous criminal scum he wouldn't kill you because he's got integrity what he would do is he would break your spine so that you couldn't walk again and you'd be forever trapped in an imprison in a, in a prison of disability. <laughs> I don't know why we're laughing at that. It's just so ridiculous. It's pretty ridiculous, but I I'll admit as a as a not fully formed prepubescent uh preteen I <laughs> that got me, you know? Like Yeah. I was like, "Oh, wow. That's cool." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, tell me this, man. Is there any way that Shadowhawk could have stood a chance against an alternate Invincible? I find that very hard to believe. Because, um, like, did he have actual powers? He didn't have... Well, yeah, I... Well, the thing is, I, I feel like they've changed his backstory since, so I don't know what his powers or yeah or lack thereof or, or like i don't know what the status of his powers are at the at the current moment but like i like i said he was just a street level superhero so he was he was basically just a dude who had some athletic ability who wore you know some armor and decided to go around beating up muggers that <laughs> that that was his thing like I think he had a couple of supervillains that he fought, but for the most part, it was just other street-level guys, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he wasn't the other thing about Shadowhawk, at least the original Shadowhawk that we grew up reading, wasn't it revealed one day in one issue that he had HIV or something? He was HIV positive? Yeah, so his origin story was that he was... I think he was like a lawyer or some sort of uh, community organizer who was, um, yeah, he was a lawyer or a community organizer who who was trying to do good works in his community when I think some gangs or something like that were 
were basically making inroads into the community and he stood up to them and one day they waited for him and you know they beat him up and and as a punishment for standing up to them they decided that they were going to inject him with a needle full of aids (laughs) (laughs) dang (laughs) that is that's pretty messed up that is a, a hell of an origin story. <laughs> that is, man. That was that was '90s image for you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I never that definitely never happened to Spider-Man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one ever tried to give him AIDS. <laughs> Not as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, the one time, the one but, time in a Marvel comic, I can kind of remember something. Yeah. I can remember them, uh, you know, even mentioning the word AIDS was in that Kevin Smith Daredevil story when, when Karen Page thought she had AIDS. Right, right. Well, what I was that, gonna say was, if Doctor Octopus or Green Goblin had done that to Spider-Man, they ooh. would probably be his worst villains of all time. Yeah, yeah, that, totally. That would, be, <laughs> that would be <laughs> quite sinister of them. Yeah. <laughs> what if what if J. Jonah Jameson did it? <laughs> <laughs> Dang. That would be some next level villainy. He would be <laughs> Spider-Man's greatest villain of all time. Dude, I'm looking at uh so I'm looking at uh Invincible and there are some other characters here that I forgot that they included. There's the darkness. Yeah. And uh, Ultra. You remember Ultra? <laughs> Ultra? Yeah. Who's Ultra? It was a it was a mini series done by the Luna Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. I do remember Ultra. Yeah. Yeah. She's in oh, here wow. too. I didn't even notice her. Yeah. She's got a really small uh, panel. Um right in there but i i remember when i was reading it i saw i saw her and i was like dude is that ultra <laughs> that's great man yeah i remember so they, uh reading ultra back in the day that it was, was good yeah i thought it was a pretty good one yeah. i don't remember it too well now it's been too many years since i've read it but if i found it for cheap i would probably pick it up and reread it i think i still have my copy oh okay cool yeah yeah nice it was yeah, I I likewise read it at the time, and uh, it was something where I think mostly I was just drawn to it for its art initially. But reading it, I was like, oh, this is um, this is some solid substantive stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's what uh, about some of those other uh, image characters, man? Like, were you ever into any of the other ones? Uh, I will say that I did, I did, uh, collect maybe the first year of the darkness. Uh, I definitely got the Garth Ennis stuff. Yeah. Um, and I also have to admit that I bought it initially for the hype because a lot of people were saying it's Garth Ennis and I believe Mark Silvestri. Yeah. Yeah. So it was supposed to be, it was hyped to be like big, you know? So I got a key mm-hmm. issue. I got issue one. 
<laughs> do you still have it? I think I do, actually. Oh, you, you got to get that crap CG seed, man. Oh, yeah. I, I'll even admit, at the time, it was a, a fine enough comic. Um, it's probably a lot better than its contemporaries of, of that era, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Darkness came out a little bit after the initial wave of image titles. Yeah, it was kind of the second generation of them. Or... Yeah, I, I want to say that was either the mid or or late 90s. Yeah. So... I, I remember it when, it when it came out, too, because it was pretty big. But at that time, I, I didn't really care about American superhero comics. So I, I didn't, I never yeah. picked it up. And by the time I went back to read it years later i wasn't there wasn't really anything that i i cared for too much like as far as garth ennis comics goes it, it definitely wasn't one of his best but you're right in comparison to the other stuff around it at the time it's at least it's it's readable yeah 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 <clears throat> um yeah i mean i think it's contemporaries included st- it definitely included stuff like witchblade uh, yeah, they're basically like a brother and sister book, you know. No, I mean yeah. not literally, but they they came out around the same time, and yeah, the concept was their 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 origin stories are linked. Yeah, they're ancient. Uh, well, I guess one is an entity and one is a weapon or, yeah. or a thing, but they're I guess involved in like some sort of eternal struggle with one another or something. <laughs> Something. I never really cared <laughs> to remember it. <laughs> right, right. Um Yeah. But this uh this issue was just a who's who of like image characters throughout the years, you know? Yeah. And, uh it's it's there there's a there's definitely an element of fun just watching you know, reading it and then picking out like who you recognize and oh, yeah, totally. reminiscing uh, about what your whatever memories you have of those characters are. <laughs> totally, man. Especially if if you're like our age and you grew up reading '90s comics, that's like you're gonna find a lot of characters you recognize. Yeah, like, there's that. It's kind of like one scene where where Pitt ends up fighting yeah. one of the Invincibles and Pitt crushes that dude's skull man and that was that was a great drawing by ryan otley man like i yeah i studied that one man i was looking at that and i was just thinking dude the way that he drew it where his thumbs are in invincible's eye sockets and he's just like ripping his head apart that i believed that the pit could do that you know like that yeah he really uh, ryan otley sold me on that moment yeah i'm i'm looking at the scene right now and it's just his hands are just all up in that Invincible's face. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's yeah, yeah, you're right. The thumbs are in the eye holes, but like his fingers are just in the guy's mouth, just ripping his like his his mouth wide open. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Were you ever into Pit? Um I don't think I was into the idea of Pit when the comics were out, the only time that I was even uh, marginally interested was when I think Peter David did a Hulk and Pit crossover. 
Oh, and okay. I think the artist was Dale Keon. Ke- I don't know how yeah. to pronounce the name. But for whatever reason, like that that one comic was something that I was like, oh, this this is interesting to me. I don't know why. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just two big guys fighting each other. Yeah. Because Dale Keown was known for uh, drawing his Hulk, drawing Incredible Hulk uh, during Peter David's run on the series. Yeah. I think that's what, how he got uh, pretty famous. And when he went to Image, he created Pitt. Yeah. That was his book. So it makes sense that he would draw the crossover. Right. It's right, funny right. how, to me, uh, Pitt. He makes me think of a cross between the Hulk and and then also uh, the other characters that were kind of popular at the time, Lobo and Venom. Oh. Because he's got, like, the, the musculature and the, the, you know, strong guy vibe of the Hulk, but he has the, the attitude of Lobo and yeah. the chains and stuff. Yeah. But he also has the teeth and the weird-looking tongue and the monster aspect of Venom. Yeah. I can totally see that. I can see that for sure. But I will, I will, I just had a thought. So now that we've mentioned all the various characters that were in here, there was mm-hmm. one character that I'm, that wasn't in here that kind of jumps out at me now. The Max wasn't in here, dude. That's true. You know? But is that because the Max lives in that, in that the dream outback? world? Yeah. Uh. Well. Or does he actually affect the real world? That's a good question. I never finished the series, so it's hard for me to say. But I was always under the impression that he existed in both worlds. He he was. Oh, okay. Like yeah, that was kind of his thing. Was that in our world he's he's just a homeless bum that lives in an alley. <laughs> but in but in the other world that he uh inhabits he's like a jungle warrior you know yeah so, so the 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 premise of the series was that he he existed in both these places and he would jump back and forth between these two realities and you're just kind of trying to figure out what's going on and why this is happening you know yeah yeah i wonder why the max was in maybe maybe uh Kirkman couldn't get in touch with Sam Keith. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know like what his power ranking would be in terms of famous image properties, but he ain't nothing. The Max was, you know... Yeah, it lasted for at least 30-something issues, right? Yeah. I, I would say that... And he had a TV show. He had a TV show feel like sam keith revisits the character every so often like they just recently did well not super recently but they did a batman max crossover i think yeah that's right yeah so yeah well there, there we go what about young blood man we saw young blood in in this issue yeah so you saw uh, there was, shaft was in there and uh bad rock uh die hard die hard although i didn't really recognize him it it was one of those things where i had to look at it and i go i guess that's die hard (laughs) (laughs) 
Because he's a robot, and his whole thing is, you know, well, you know, being a robot, you can always change your look and your form. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. There's this pan- this page here. Oh, man. There's Troll. I think that was the dude's name. Yeah, if that's not his name, that's what I call him in my mind. Just because <laughs> he looks like a troll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The other team that I was pretty into when I was a kid was Cyberforce. They actually got a few lines of dialogue in this issue of Invincible, which was kind of funny to me. I guess. Did you ever read Cyberforce? I didn't ever read Cyberforce. Um, I was just aware of them. Uh, well, I the one Cyberforce comic that I did read was this crossover between Marvel and I want to say was it Top Cow? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. yeah Cyberforce is Top Cow, Mark Silvestri's yeah. company or yeah. studio. So it was Marvel and Top Cow, and it was they were doing a bunch of crossovers between a bunch of Marvel heroes and a bunch of the characters, I guess, that were coming out of Mark Silvestri's uh, out of Top Cow Studios. So mm-hmm. the one issue that I remember was Ghost Rider and. I don't even think it was Cyberforce. I think it might have been Ghost Rider and Cyblade. Ballistic. Cyblade? It was it was the chick with the yeah. um with the psychic knife that looked kind of like Psylocke, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a cyber a cybernetic version of Psylocke called Cyblade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really original. <laughs> it, it's pretty funny, man. Cyberforce when I was a kid, I was into it just because I was a dumb kid. But yeah. looking at it now, it's obviously just a really uninspired X-Men ripoff where he yeah. took all the the archetypes of the famous X-Men characters or whatever you would expect to find on a superhero team. But he just decided to make them cyber, meaning yeah. they had yeah. kind of, uh, you know, like a robot part or a, they were kind of like cyborgs. They had yeah. cyborg body parts because Cable was pretty popular at the time. What an easy way to cash in on that. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like... Mark Silvestri decided to make his own version of the X-Men, but they weren't just mutants, they were cyborg mutants. So he yeah. had a guy with he had a guy named Ripclaw that had claws like Wolverine, except instead of just three claws coming out of each hand, like his 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 fingers were just giant metal claws. Yeah. Yeah. And then exactly. you had uh you know, the strong guy who was like Colossus, except he was always he didn't turn into flesh no, or anything. Wildcats. Yeah, you're thinking of Wildcats. I think the guy in Cyberforce, his name was Impact. I don't know why I still remember their names, man. But <laughs> the they had a dude that was kind of like their Cyclops, but his name was Heatwave. Instead of shooting stuff from his eyes, I think he just blasted it from his hands. And then Cyblade wow. was like a Psylocke <laughs> character. <laughs> they had a they had a guy named Striker. But it was Stryker spelled with a Y. He was the leader. And he was like, he was their cable. But instead of having one metal arm, he had three metal arms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so it's that much cooler like, for every metal arm that he has. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like on one side of his body, he had three metal arms. And then on the other side of his body, he just had one normal human arm. <laughs> That's, yeah. The It just... 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a stickler for symmetry, but that does not look right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I never looked at someone who had six toes and went, yeah, that guy looks cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny what Mark Silvestri thought would make his it's, team cooler than it was. I, I think the thing that would sell it for me is if I got to see an interview where he just goes over his thought process, I would love to see him try to justify like yeah. that, you know, try to justify how his characters aren't ripoffs of uh, Marvel comics characters. Yeah. <laughs> Look, cable only has one metal arm. My guy has three metal arms. <laughs> totally, different. totally different. Totally <laughs> different. So freaking funny. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun issue, man. It was fun just in terms of seeing all the action, but it, there was something yeah. nostalgic about seeing all these characters that we remember from our youth. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, like so. I guess before we go any further, like we're like we're okay with just going with spoilers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's okay. just spoil it all, man. Okay. The milk's gone bad. So, yeah, so uh, so up front, what we see is a lot of the action involves uh, Mark fighting an army of himself across all these multiple dimensions. And the interesting thing is, I guess the real core dramatic moment, uh, well, there are quite a few but one of the ones that jumped out at me was this moment at the end where you know he has this big battle with angstrom levy and you know the the they've they've basically repelled the the remaining forces of the army of invincibles from other dimensions but after after seeing all the devastation and uh you know Adam Eve almost die like uh invincible Mark Grayson he has a moment where he basically tells Oliver like you were right you know all this time uh me trying to adhere to this idea that we shouldn't kill and you know we as heroes need to do the right thing or whatever like under pressure it all folds and invincible basically says you were right and next time i won't hesitate to to kill was that after the invincible war or was that conversation after the next part of the story oh yeah you're right that okay you're right that was the the next part of the story uh i'm looking through it right now Right, that that is a that is a big theme in the book though, because because where we left left off last time was Mark scolding Oliver about Oliver killing the Mahler twins, and then Oliver, you know, he kind of revealed they had that com- couple of conversations where Oliver essentially said, you know, people, not everybody is valuable. In fact, most people aren't worth anything. So I don't really need to value human life because humans don't value human life yeah yeah 
And they had, yeah, they had, so they had that whole discussion in the last volume. Right. And now it's time for Invincible. It's it's good that the way that the story moved, that Kirkman and Notley actually explore how that conversation affects Invincible. Because it's yeah. not just Invincible telling his kid brother, you can't do that. But now it's actually Invincible dealing with the same thing, you know, like yeah. trying to wrestle through he the... He has to face it. Yeah. Like, yeah and he has, he has to, face to decide whether he's of... going to live up to that rhetoric or whether, you know, it's it's that moment where he has to question his principles. And mm-hmm. by the end of it, his principles clearly faltered, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's a moment later on in the story when they're fighting uh, the sequids, and the leader of the sequids the other he and the other heroes are having a tough time so mark just punches the dude so hard the dude's head explodes or something yeah yeah and that pretty much ends the threat but he he killed and like the guy who was the leader of the sequids was just a guy who was possessed by the sequid you know so it wasn't like he had a parasite it wasn't like he was willfully trying to do all that but he was just under the control of an alien creature yeah yeah so the only way that these alien parasites could function was was as long as there was one if if even one of them was connected to a human host it would have the ability to control uh the rest of them you know and this was just like thousands upon thousands of these things and and yeah, in that moment, Mark decided that the only way to end the threat was to punch this guy's head off. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, like you said, the guy, he was just a regular dude. He was an astronaut who just happened to be in the wrong place in the wrong time. And he he got taken over by these things, you know? Yeah. He didn't want to be taken over. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a pretty tough thing to to yeah. see Mark end up doing. You know, he sullied his hands now. Yeah. Well, okay, so so we mentioned that you know after the end of the Invincible War, um, he's he's faced with a devastation that was left over. You know, and the entire planet is messed up. Yeah, the entire planet is messed up. There's this one page where he's just floating over this city and you could just tell that the city is just it's been reduced to just rubble, basically. And it's just Mark looking over it saying, my God. Right. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, uh, this other Viltrumite shows up as another scout for the Viltrumite Empire. And he's basically just there to tell Mark, amidst all this devastation, that I'm here to check on the status. The last time our people spoke to you, we told you that you need to have this place in shape and ready for the invasion. Otherwise, you know, they would send me here and basically I'm I'm here to replace you if you don't do what mm-hmm. we tell you. And that's just this other huge battle in and of itself that's just... Again, like the the planet's already been like the major cities in the planet have already been reduced to rubble, thousands of innocent people dead, and then this guy shows up. Yeah. So it just feels like 
a bunch of these a bunch of stories in this volume were about getting Mark again to uh question the principles that he's tried to establish for himself as a superhero and mm-hmm. just in quick su- succession he's faced with these uh the cumulative uh effects of these three different disasters that just push his resolve to the limit right yeah. so so you have the the army of invincibles where Angstrom Levy, this guy, even though he killed, he thought he had killed him at the time, but he, Mark realizes that he shouldn't have felt sorry or bad that he had killed him at the time when he thought he had killed him, because if he had truly killed him at the time, then this army of invincibles wouldn't have invaded Earth, right? Yeah, yeah. And then in the second arc, or the the continuation of that right after when he faces what's his name conquest conquest yeah, yeah conquest of viltrumite it's just this other big battle and you know in short in order for him like mark is facing these incredible odds because this this is a viltrumite who's not holding back at all and he's just willing to unleash the full power of uh, a fully developed Viltrumite against Mark, and you know, yeah, they're crisscrossing Earth while yeah. they're fighting each other, and all of the the heroes that that are still you know in action that aren't injured from the previous battle with the other Invincibles, they yeah. can't really keep up because no one else on Earth is powerful enough to to fight exactly. a Viltrumite. Exactly. So even Cecil is trying to use his uh teleportation technology to to go to where the battles are and they just can't keep up because the fights, you know, beyond them. Exactly. Exactly. So again, like we we're we're in this situation where when Mark gets the upper hand, he takes it upon himself to make the decision to like not just like kill this guy. He's going to annihilate this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he he basically just goes full force on this dude and tries to reduce him to just orange juice, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the pulpy kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a pretty savage fight because that one... Their Their whole battle went for a couple of issues, right? Yeah. Whereas the Invincible War was just the one issue, but the the but then the thing with the fight against Conquest was that Adam Eve gets out of the hospital uh, from her injuries in the previous battle to try and help Mark, and she tries taking on Conquest, and at the end of one of the issues, he straight up just shoves his fist through her torso. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a pretty savage scene, like one of those scenes where, yeah, there's no way that someone could survive something like that. You know, he just ripped her apart or yeah. you know, ripped a hole in, in her. Yeah. And you just see Mark cradling her as as the, the last bits of life uh, fade away. But the 
you know, being comics and with her power set, there's a, a pretty decent explanation later on how she comes back uh, in the next issue. But I just, it just made me think, dude, for the people that were reading the series on a monthly basis during its original serialization, that cliffhanger, <laughs> that must have been, that must have yeah. been heavy, man. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, dude. For real. You spend all this time building up the character and then just to see her cruelly killed like that, it, it hurts, man. Like if you actually think that she's dead for like, so like for that, that month before the next issue comes out, you've just got to deal with the loss. Yeah. It's man. heavy, man. Yeah. It's heavy. But like all that just serves to, again, like put Mark in this state of mind where he just feels. He's in more... a berserker rage. Yeah. Well, he, 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 yeah, he's definitely emotionally unstable and he goes into this berserker rage, but it just justifies in his mind even more that maybe this kid, maybe Oliver is right. Maybe like, yeah, like this whole idea of like heroes don't kill is it's just not an idea that's viable, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and he decides that... um. Again, there's that scene later on where he's actually talking to Oliver. I don't remember after which part this was, but uh, it ends with him. I, I'm I'm pretty sure he's talking to Oliver, but it, I think it ends with him actually telling Oliver, like, you're right. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, this, like, next time, think of all the people that would have been saved if I had killed these threats before they came to fruition. So next time around, I won't hesitate to kill this to kill, uh, if need be, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's it's a pretty powerful little moment, you know. Yeah, especially in light of all the buildup from the previous year's worth of stories. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the cool thing about it about the whole series is how you see this character development play out over a a great period of time in terms of like the volume of issues you know like he, it's not just like one issue something happens and then you move on and he just kind of forgets about whatever they said or talked about but there's ramifications and follow-up on those arcs and it's not just the it's 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 not just kirkman putting subplots in a pot and letting them simmer but it it's also using um emotional subplots you know like it's not it's not necessarily stuff that's always about the next villain biding his time and plotting his revenge but it's also there's also subplots that involve characters feelings and and uh you know this example of of mark trying to work through in his mind whether it's okay for him or whether it's even right or good for him to kill enemies before they can kill other people like that that's something that we wouldn't have had in the comic if not for the stuff that happened in the previous year so it's yeah it's really cool to see how kirkman just i don't i don't know how far in advance he plotted the series or how he he planned it back when he was writing it but look reading it now it, it definitely feels like it's well thought out you know like yeah it feels like he had a 
a blueprint in mind uh, in terms of where he wanted the character to to be at in a from a mental or emotional point of yeah. view and he he uses the plot to explore those things yeah it's one of those it's... elements of superhero comics that sad to say it's kind of rare because it feels like most su- superhero comics are usually about the plot and i think that's why the superhero comics that deal with what happens to the character in between like the the consequences and the ramifications those are to me those tend to be the the really interesting superhero comics yeah 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 it's it's also interesting how like we've talked about how when you read invincible especially uh you get the feeling that robert kirkman he's definitely been exposed to a lot of superhero comics because the way that he subverts some of these ideas or these tropes, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like he, yeah, he definitely has been exposed to enough ideas that have floated around in existing comics to know how to play with those ideas and show them in different ways, right? So, yeah. So, like we mentioned, how Mark in previous volumes of Invincible when he begins to see that Oliver is developing this personality that is pretty, that doesn't give too much regard about human life. Like he, he, he takes him aside. He gives him this whole speech where he goes, Hey, uh, you know, life is valuable, blah, blah, blah. And you know, we're, we're heroes. What we do is we save them. Right. And Mm -hmm. with most other comics, that's where that plot stops, you know? He's made the speech, he's taught this guy, and that's kind of as far as it goes. But what's interesting here is uh, Robert Kirkman takes it to that next level by actually allowing uh, Mark Grayson to go down that route to, to flirt with the idea of being a killer. Yeah. Just... Almost as if to to just see to to give him a taste of of what it me what it's like to be a killer so that he can kind of decide with that real firsthand experience. Yeah, <laughs> you know when he finally makes the decision to not be a killer, it comes from a place of firsthand experience as opposed to just some sort of principled moral stance, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's yeah. it's fascinating to me how. Kirkman is able to use the plot to move that story along, you know? It's, yeah. For it's sure. the perfect example of the plot and the character development being in sync, you know? Because sometimes you read a story and you can kind of tell that the story is really just about the stuff on the surface and there isn't really too much... Uh, to serve as a counterpoint to it but with with invincible it, it definitely feels like the the plot isn't doesn't just exist just to present a narrative to the reader but the the plot is also there to provide the character development because the character yeah. development wouldn't arise if he didn't go yeah. through the events of the story 
Yeah, that it makes sense, right? Because the events within the story have to act as a catalyst for him mm-hmm. to change his personal perspective, right? So yeah. it's one thing to hold a moral stance just for the sake of ho- holding a moral stance, right? But mm-hmm. it's it's a question of what happens when you're when you really have when your principles are are tested. That's when you really that's when you know if you believe what you say you believe yeah and that's when they're truly formed to to some degree right Mm -hmm. exactly um i found the the scene that i was talking about where it's oliver and mark and and they're sitting in the hospital at at the end after after all this all these ordeals and after all these battles and oliver's just kind of messed up this is after the fight with conquest the viltramite so mm-hmm. Oliver's just in a hospital bed and Mark is there and they're talking with each other and the scene goes, you know, they're kind of, Mark is, I guess, venting about all the things that have happened in in, in the recent battles. And he, he says, damn it, I thought everything was okay. I thought it was all over. He may not have taken her life, but that monster got something in the end. And, um... And Oliver mm-hmm. replies with, I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry about everything that happened. And and then Mark goes into this uh into this speech where he goes, No, I'm the one who should be apologizing uh, who should be apologizing to you, Oliver. The past few weeks I've been training you. I think I've learned more than you have. I scolded you, I yelled at you, thought I knew better. I thought you were misguided, naive. I was wrong. You were you were right the whole time but i've learned my lesson someone tries to hurt my family someone i love if there's another villain out there putting lives in danger who's just going to keep coming at me until they finally succeed i won't hesitate to kill them and that's just how the issue ends yeah that's heavy man yeah that, that's that's definitely kirkman style man to to give this heavy speech and end the issue on that 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 heavy emotional note. Yeah. That's a that's a Kirkman special right there. Yeah. We are like the he, Walking he, Dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it totally makes me think of the Walking Dead. Yeah. There's even that uh you know even smaller speeches are pretty powerful too. Like there's in the one issue where he thought that Conquest killed Eve, he 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 says something. I forget exactly what he says. I'd have to look it up, but. But he he uh, I think the final line of his speech it's it's like a close up on his bruised and bloodied face and he's like I've seen the future you don't live to see tomorrow <laughs> and that's just how the issue ends I'm like that's a that's a good line to end an issue man yeah that's a that's a way better cliffhanger than seeing somebody fall out a window. <laughs> uh. Take that, Scott Snyder. <laughs> uh, yeah. That whole yeah, battle well, with Conquest was a really fun action sequence, too. Like, the the way that Otley drew that one splash where Mark punches Conquest's metal arm. Like, he's got a robot arm. Yeah. Kind of like Cable, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but Mark punches the arm and his arm mark's fist goes through conquest's arm and the way that that was drawn that's 
that's pretty creative stuff, man. Like just to be able to imagine what that would look like and how like, yeah. to visualize. Oh, if if Mark, if two fists, you know, crash into each other, then the the robot fist that breaks, you know, the fingers are gonna look this way, and then like the the forearm is gonna get split open, and you know, like all the the, the little uh, details like that. It, it's it's pretty fun to look at, you know. And I, yeah. I feel like that's some good creativity on his part in terms of just uh just drawing it, you know, because it's it's not yeah. like something where you can photo reference that. Not really. That, yeah, that's yeah, something yeah. that is purely in the imagination of the artist, and and you gotta love somebody who can draw something like that from his mind and then when you look at it on paper you just believe in it you know yeah like i'm looking at it right now and it's just this two-page splash where these two guys are flying towards each other and mark is just punching the arm and you just see bits and pieces of debris flying everywhere debris <laughs> debris d-e-b-r-i-s debris <laughs> If there is an earthquake, watch out for falling debris. <laughs> no? <laughs> you you don't know about debris? I am not familiar with that word. <laughs> I have, I have not heard of the word debris in my life. Now you have. But now now I have. I have been <laughs> I have been educated. <laughs> but um in addition to that like the rest of the battle is pretty savage man yeah like when you look at it i'm so at one point he's like just punching this old man in the face and that's what conquest looks like he just looks like a jacked old man right <laughs> yeah <laughs> just jacked to the max kind of like cable yeah <laughs> Do you even lift, bro? He's one of those. He's just shredded. <laughs> so at one point, the guy... So this guy, at this point, one of his ro his robot arm is missing, but he still manages to just wrap his other arm and his stump around Mark, and he's just giving him a bear hug. And then mm -hmm. Mark doesn't have any recourse, so he just bites him. <laughs> He tears flesh off him, man. That's yeah. pretty hardcore. And it's a close-up. You see him just rip a chunk out of the guy's neck, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty gross. The 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 other thing about Invincible that's come up every so often as we've been reading is how how violent some of these battles get, and yet it kind of it never really feels like a mature reader is kind of comic, but at the yeah. same time, I don't think I would give this to a kid just because it is violent. Yeah. And like every time, every time, uh, characters want to, you know, make love or have sex or do the hanky panky or whatever you want to call it. Th there's always like a tasteful cutaway. Like you never actually see it. It's always just all the sex is implied. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, it's not dirty like that, but it, it it's just enough where, if I had like a, a like a six or seven year old kid, I, I probably would not give this to the yeah. kid unless it was the, the child of someone that I didn't really care about. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's the thing. The violence isn't just violent. I mean, it's 
there's like gore and viscera, you know. There's a lot of Very blood. Savage. It's yeah, it's just relentless, you know. Yeah. So it, it's funny how they're able to do all that, but they they still go out of their way not to show a bare nipple. Yeah, there there are no boobs here. Yeah, <laughs> and then I don't even think they uh, say any real swear words, do they? <laughs> I don't recall them ever dropping like an f-bomb yeah yeah not it's not like walking dead like that because walking dead was definitely rated r yeah whereas invincible it, it feels like it could just be pg-13 but then yeah. there's all these scenes with like rated r violence <laughs> yeah i wonder if they did that purposefully just to be like <laughs> take that's what i think of your rated r <laughs> yeah <laughs> if what we get is violence if that's what we're allowed to have then i'm just gonna take it to that next level yeah. <laughs> it just makes me think of how if somebody had picked up Invincible from the beginning when it was coming out in single issue form and if you read those first couple issues you would totally feel comfortable giving that to a kid and then you get to that one issue where Omni-Man just slaughters uh the Guardians of the Globe and you're just yeah. like wait a minute that's a little bit more than what you would see in a Spider-Man comic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's another scene here that I'm looking at that it's basically the end of the fight between Invincible and Conquest, right? Oh, yeah, that was an awesome spread when he's just headbutting the dude. Yeah, so at this point, like, Invincible is, like, just pounding on this guy with his fist, but Conquest grabs his hand, and he just crushes his his hand you know mangles so, his fingers man and then his he can't use his other hand because the, his other arm is broken so bad the bone is protruding from the forearm exactly so like invincible is just so desperate what does he do all he has is his head so he just headbutts this guy to death and <laughs> it's this two-page spread where the main image is just invincible over the messed up body of conquest but then in the background you see all these little panels of him just repeatedly smashing his head into this guy's face <laughs> there's so much <laughs> blood <laughs> yeah and then when you after that two-page spread you turn the next page and you see a close-up of the guy's face and it is just it is just an exploded sausage <laughs> <laughs> like you can tell that it's got the shape of a head but it doesn't look like a face no more, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not in the slightest. <laughs> there's just there's just so much blood. <laughs> it's, it's almost... I guess in a way, it's, it's kind of comical just to look at it because it is, it is uh, ridiculous violence, you know? Like, that's not the kind of thing that a normal person would, would be able to survive because if anybody tried to do that many headbutts, your own face would be messed up just like yeah. that. Yeah. You would get like just massive CTE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. And after that, that's when we finally get start to get some quiet moments in the book. Like things kind of slow down a little bit, and they they start dealing with the ramifications. And uh, like one of the nice scenes I enjoyed was the funeral for Rexplode, because he he dies in that story when the Invincibles attack yeah and the he had a pretty uh creative death too where that invincible grabbed hold of him and rex didn't have anything else to to throw 
because he's kind of like Gambit, right? He charges stuff up and it explodes. Yeah. Rex is like, I've still got my skeleton. <laughs> and he just detonates his own skeleton. Yeah. That's... that's it's that's pretty a, heroic. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a blaze of glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For it's sure. also kind of disappointing because he had gone to that point where he was starting to become a likable character. Yeah. Well, so to, yeah, it's it a was, testament it a to sad. Kirkman's ability to like take a character that we initially didn't like very much. Mm-hmm. And well, that's a testament to any writer, right? Is their ability to make you like uh, a character that you didn't initially like. And then mm-hmm. to make you feel for them when they finally when when something bad happens to them right yeah like i yeah it's you know kudos to robert kirkman on that yeah it's good stuff and it's not like he ever really devoted that much screen time to rex but he gave him enough where yeah the moments he gave him were meaningful Yeah, yeah yeah exactly the other thing about the aftermath of conquest was what Cecil ended up doing with Conquest body because it, it turns out that Cecil ends up lying to Mark about it. Cause, yeah. So like at this point, like in the last the last uh, stuff that we had read, Mark and Cecil had a falling out, so Mark's no longer really working for him. Mm-hmm. But when these global events were happening, they didn't really have much of a choice but to, you know, to to acknowledge that they were on the same side. Although yeah. Mark still doesn't fully trust him and isn't willing to work for him anymore yeah and cecil he does a bad thing here i think by lying to mark he actually goes so far as to create a fake corpse of conquest body so mark actually believes that conquest is dead yeah but in actuality even though Conquest's face got all flattened and messed up like that he was still clinging to life somehow and with his viltramite healing he was slowly, uh, you know, recovering from the trauma of it all. I mean, it would take some quite some time for him. But Cecil thought that he could trap this guy in this underground prison that nobody else knows about. And when he gets regains consciousness, he could, he could be interrogated. So Cecil could learn about the Viltrumites and all that. Yeah, yeah. That, that turns out to be a pretty bad decision. <laughs> Should have yeah. just thrown the body in the sun or something, man. yeah. For real. I mean, in addition to that, uh, we also learned that Cecil took all of the dead Invincibles from the from across the multiverse, mm. and he's building an army of reanimen, you know, yeah. the, the zombie corpses, zombie zi- cyborg corpses that, uh, that he had built hundreds of. Uh, but this time... The bodies that are that that constitute the 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 organic material for these new reanimen are actually dead multiverse versions of Invincible, so they're going to be yeah. super durable now. You know? Yeah. So even though circumstances up to this point in the story feel like they're driving Cecil and Invincible to have some sort of reconciliation. What we see behind the scenes is Cecil still doing more that'll probably just drive an even bigger wedge between the two of them, even though 
right now on the surface things look like they they could be on the on on the way to mending you know yeah or at the very least they could coexist in a state of harmony yeah yeah but it 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 definitely feels like if mark were to find out about these things he would be pretty mad yeah yeah <laughs> like the, those are yeah those are exactly the things that he he doesn't want cecil to do <laughs> yeah yeah and cecil knows it and that's why he doesn't tell him <laughs> <laughs> yep the um, other thing uh that the other big thing that happens in the series is we get to revisit alan the alien and nolan and their adventures in space spend a couple issues with them which is pretty cool cory walker did those issues what did you think about the advancement of that subplot the coalition against the viltrumites um yeah i'm still pretty invested we learn a little bit more about what what's going on with viltrumites um we learn about the scourge virus that basically wiped the majority of them out. Uh, but in addition to that, one of the revelations is that the head of the coalition developed a newer version of the scourge virus, and he's sitting on that and mm-hmm. basically willing to use it if it means that it will stop them once and for all. Yeah. You know? So, it's... Yeah, I mean, up to this point, we uh, we see the Viltrumites as a threat, but the more information we get... And, and yeah, the more information that we get, the more we learn. Uh, we're learning that their numbers aren't what they used to be. There are only about 50 pure Viltrumites, I think, is what they said. Mm-hmm. And... And they even stated once in the comic, at, I forget which scene, but they basically s- said something to the effect of, uh, you know, with with this reality, it seems like now more than ever, it's it's a there's a possibility that this is a winnable war against the Viltrumites. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and that's totally the case. But with Omni-Man you know, now on the side of uh, Earth um, and the revelation of this virus, I don't know. It's If I was in that position, don't get me wrong, I'd want to have the virus in the back of my pocket, but I don't know. There's something about that, that the way that it's set up, that it gives me concern, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you're not a fan of using biological weapons to exterminate your enemies, Albert. <laughs> you have qualms uh, about that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to have the option for it, but I also <laughs> think that there's ways that 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 can go incredibly wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there there were some pretty funny scenes with the the Alan and Nolan issues too, especially those scenes when uh, Nolan was staying over at Alan's apartment and he was trying to sleep on the couch. Yeah, <laughs> that that made me laugh, man. It was just that him was covering funny. his ears because he was listening to Alan in the throes of passion. <laughs> <laughs> 
so it's, awkward. Yeah. It's funny because it's just, I want to say it's like four panels or of him just sitting on the couch covering his ears. And like yeah, as lying as down the reader, on the couch. Yeah, lying on the couch covering his ears. Like he, it's like intense too. Like his, he's got he's a just grimace. Like, yeah, exactly. He's like super closing his eyes to the point where he's just trying to stop the night terrors, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we're not entirely, like at first we're not entirely sure what it is he's trying to, he's, he's wrapped the pillow around his head to keep out the sounds too, right? So we don't mm-hmm. know what it is that's happening. But then suddenly Alan comes out and he's just like, oh, I hope we're not keeping you up. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, were there any other uh, elements in this year's issues that stood out that you still want to discuss? Well, there there are some. Like, we have over here, we have... um, So, after invincible after that war with uh with invincible and uh the invincibles from across the multiverse or whatever you want to call it angstrom levy uh reveals that he has a contingency plan on the off chance that or he had contingency plans on the off chance that invincible was to to beat him which which is what saved him the first time around. And we discover that there are these other power players that exist and they're essentially a new threat to Invincible now. Like we don't really know too much about them. I don't even really know what they're called. Uh I'm not the guys sure either. Yeah, but there's that revelation that is that's pretty big. Um in terms of other things that happened in this year's uh, comics. Uh, so, you know, we mentioned earlier that um, Invincible went through this entire... It felt like a lot of the prog- uh, progression in this year's worth of story was about Invincible coming to grips with the idea of killing as a necessity. Mm-hmm. And... In the second volume, in volume 13, what finally ends up happening is after he kills, after the sequids attack and he kills that one guy, uh, there's this moment later on where he's fighting the dinosaur. Uh, I forget what the dinosaurus. Dinosaurus, exactly. That's a, that's a funny name, man. It's pretty comical. <laughs> you know what? I was reading in the hardcover edition, there's a, a bit of commentary. Yeah. And Robert Kirkman said that. His uh, little son named the character. <laughs> I, I forget how old his son was at the time. Like, I don't know, probably... 16. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be hilarious if his, like, 16-year-old son was like, I think it'd be cool if you named him Dinosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> what he said in the commentary was was that... He saw his son playing with his toys one day. You know, I guess his, he had some, like, robots or dinosaurs or something. He was just sitting on the floor playing with them. And then Kirkman asked the son what the character's name was. And his son said, Dinosaurus. And Kirkman was like, dude, that's a great name. I got to use that. <laughs> Man, I wish I could. I had a kid I could steal ideas from. 
<laughs> like like axe cop. <laughs> well, not that. That's a bad idea. <laughs> the funny thing about dinosaurs is that after he gets knocked out or whatever, he turns into a regular dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so the thing about dinosaurs is he's he's basically Thanos is what I got from it, right? So he's a being from some other time, I, I think the future, and he comes back to this time period, and he's mad at Invincible because he saw the the invasion of the Invincibles and Conquest as a chance to reduce the population and to to make the world to basically reset the world so that it's more manageable, right? Mm-hmm. But he he's mad at uh, Invincible for stopping that, and as a result, his future is you know is devastated, or he he's gonna have to deal with the repercussions in his future. And yeah. of course, Invincible is gonna stop him, right? And and like you said, so. While they're in the middle of a fight, Invincible knocks him out, and Dinosaurus just turns back into a normal dude. And the dude's just, like, pleading. He's, like, saying, you gotta help me. Like, Dinosaurus comes back at random times. I can't control it. I don't know when it's gonna happen. And Mark's response, he just looks at him, and then he just grabs him by the neck and just starts choking him out. (laughs) Yeah. He, He was pretty close to killing the guy. Yeah. But all of us, uh, at the last minute, uh, the Guardians of the Globe show up and, you know, they stop him from murdering this dude. Yeah, that that would have been a... He probably would have felt guilty if he had killed the guy after that. Well, but that's the thing. He already felt guilty even though he didn't actually kill the guy. He was pretty unnerved by the fact that in that moment, his first thought uh when faced with uh solutions was to kill this guy because he understood that this guy getting killed would mean that dinosaurus wouldn't return right right right. so the next scene is him talking with adam eve and it's just him you know emotionally at a loss for him with himself about about uh you know, this new version of himself that's the killer, that's the stone-cold killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the series progresses, or as as the story continues, he eventually goes to see uh, his tailor. What's the tailor's name? Art. Yeah, he goes to see Art because he doesn't have anyone else that he can talk to, or he doesn't feel like there's anyone else that he can talk to about this. Mm-hmm. And... And yeah, he has this conversation with Art that basically reaffirms what he's always known in his heart, which is he doesn't want to be the kind of hero that kills, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, and That's true. Dinosaurus comes across as a guy that was just going to be like another throwaway character like the elephant. Yeah. But it, it ends up leading to a scene where we get that character development and the conversation you just described. So that, that, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, the funny things about dinosaurs is when he, when he gets knocked out and turns back into the, the human, 
Uh-huh. The, the human dude is still wearing the armor, so he's just like naked, but he's got like this big metal stuff all over him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah. But the thing that I thought was cool about that conversation with Art was in that, uh, at that, once he comes to the conclusion that he doesn't want to be this grim anti hero type of character, Art's. You know, one of the symbolic gestures that Art makes is, well, I can give you a look that'll, you know, that'll harken back to something more pure, something, you know, a better version of yourself. And he basically gives him back his old costume, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of interesting um, because a couple of trades, uh, a couple of trades back, um, we have the introduction of this new costume and it's clearly this it's it's mostly black and blue right Mm -hmm. and i think it follows the trajectory of a lot of superhero comics where every character black costume exactly every character has a dark phase you know in, in their every character has to go through some sort of dark period or some sort of dark phase and I think if this is Invincible's version of that, it's it's pretty well thought out, you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. it it totally makes sense. They worked it it's like Robert Kirkman knew what the ebb and flow of comic book characters is supposed to be, right? And he mm-hmm. purposely built it into this story so that it worked narratively with like you said, with the plot elements that he had developed so that it would feel organic and natural with his personal character development. You know? Yeah, totally, man. So I thought that was really well done. Uh, It was really, it was a really well done journey to take him and to use the costume as, you know, that, I guess, symbolic yeah change for him you know yeah it's also kind of neat to see how long it actually lasted too because if didn't he get the costume in what issue 50 or something uh if i had to be perfectly honest i'm reading the comics like this i it's hard for me to keep track yeah, of to remember time. which issue it was yeah we were reading <laughs> trades yeah but yeah it, it feels like it's been at least like 20 issues that he's had the costume the new costume yeah. So it, it's a it's a pretty substantial amount of time. It, it wasn't just some throwaway thing. I definitely do like the original costume more though. That's that's pretty classic. Yeah. Like the the blue and black it lacked character, honestly. I mean, it's it's still him, but that yellow makes it pop. Yeah. You don't see too many other heroes with that color scheme. Actually, uh, when you mentioned the dinosaur scene, it, um, I started digging through my book to to look at it too, and uh-huh. uh, the, the scene uh, a little bit, a couple pages after that, when Mark and and uh, Mark goes to Eve's house to have dinner with her parents, and he, yeah. he meets. Her parents and they have a conversation over a meal that was a pretty funny scene too <laughs> yeah 
that was that whole scene where after the meal his dad is talking to him outside on the porch or not his dad uh eve's dad is talking to him out on the porch (laughs) that's like can you think of a more awkward conversation to have with your girlfriend's father (laughs) yeah i was as i was reading it it felt pretty uncomfortable (laughs) i i felt uncomfortable for them for him you know like part of me wonders if her dad was just playing a character to scare him away from his daughter or if his or if her father was actually being sincere in what he was talking about yeah <laughs> i yeah i don't know just from like some of the earlier scenes he i i feel like he's a dude with a chip on his shoulder but i'm not 100% sure because you know, I, I, we haven't really been super exposed to her parents too much, yeah. aside from, like, the few bits of information that she's dropped. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just a funny scene. Um, The other big thing I, I just remembered that we got to mention was how Eve learned that she was pregnant, but she hasn't told Mark. Yeah, that's a pretty big revelation. Right yeah there. yeah and the to add to the complication of that situation at the end of the at the end of these issues mark's father and alan return to earth and they they tell mark what's going on essentially invite him to return to the coalition with them right so he's got to go back to to space but eve can't really go with him and she's pregnant now and she hasn't told him so uh that yeah that's yeah that's some that's some drama man <laughs> yeah 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 it's a uh, it's it's the amount of stuff that keeps happening in this book don't get me wrong it's entertaining but oof <laughs> yeah his life don't quit you know it doesn't man it doesn't like there, there's always a bunch of things going on. We haven't even really seen too much of his mother in these issues either. Mark's mother, Debbie. Like there yeah. were some scenes when when she visited him in the hospital, and it it kind of looked like her relationship with her new boyfriend was was uh getting more serious, I guess, because I mean now that he knows that her son is invincible, and you know he actually went to the secret government base to to see him with her so you know just little things like that there's no real like we don't really see anything spelled out in terms of where they're at other than just what we see on the page but it's interesting to think how how uh the characters lives evolve even when we're not looking at them yeah 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 some of the other things that like more minor revelations that were worth uh mentioning in this year's worth of uh worth of comics is we we start they talk about uh more of oliver's changes physical changes now oh yeah that he looks more older. like a teenager now he looks more like a teenager but towards the end of the 13th volume we see that his skin tone is beginning to change to look more human Mm -hmm. so it's 
it's less purple than it was. And in addition to that, uh, the I guess his handlers were saying his that tutor. his tutor is essentially saying that physically speaking, his his aging is beginning to slow down. It's no longer he's no longer aging at this accelerated rate, and he might even begin to age at a normal human rate. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still going to be incredibly long lived because of the Viltrumite side of him, but the the bug side of him is yeah. beginning to cancel out, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, he he's... I mean, we get the impression that he's kind of uh, bummed at the idea that he won't get to be a full-grown man. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's... It'll it'll be I'm curious to see where this where they go from here, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, after that uh last month when we had a, a bunch of uh story elements involving Oliver, this time around he was still in it, but he was kind of he spent a lot of time, you know, recovering in the hospital because he kept he got messed up by uh conquest, so Yeah. Like they, there were a couple of really great scenes between him and Mark having the conversations that we mentioned, but other than that, it didn't really feel like he was uh, the focus of of this run. Yeah. Of this run of issues. Well, it's interesting how we mentioned that in the previous books, the way that they drew Oliver uh, in some of those scenes, it felt like they were laying the foundation for for some story elements where Oliver might be might have to come to odds at odds with Mark at some point. But Mm -hmm. I mean, so far what we've seen in this year's worth of issues, I, I don't get, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do later, but so far it seems like him and Mark are on the same side and they're, it just feels like they're brothers. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Like there's nothing, there's like nothing the, sinister between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, not like that other scene in last month's podcast where where uh, they were Oliver, hugging it out. Yeah, where, where Oliver said some stuff just because he knew Mark wanted to hear it, but he was still sneering behind his back. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was le- legitimately the scene was they they were hugging it out, but then you got a close up of his face and you could tell that there was something. He was mad. He was mad, exactly. <laughs> you know, and as a reader, like you're, you can't help but wonder if that, that rift is going to just get wider as time goes on. Yeah. But you know, again, like Kirkman's able to set up these expectations only to subvert them, and and I think with any other writer, if they had done that, sometimes people might get the impression that oh, that was unexpected or, you know, whatever. But the way that Kirkman does it, it's, even though it's unexpected, it's pretty seamless, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I do think he did a really good job of, uh, of, of, of setting those expectations up only to, to dash our, uh, to dash what we thought was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. 
Oh yeah, uh, I, f- I forgot to mention this earlier, but uh, there's that one character that Invincible fights in one of the issues, Universa, that lady with the, she's got some kind of staff yeah. that has uh, power beams or something. Yeah. When you when you uh, read that story, or when you uh, looked at the character design, did, did she give you Walt Simonson vibes? Because for some reason, I, I thought that looked like a Walt Simonson design. It kind of reminded me of something Simonson might draw. I don't uh... know why. Something about it. It reminds... Let me take a look at her again. Like, the first thing that I thought of when I was looking at her was... You remember that one Superman villain, Maxima? I think that was That's who it made me think of. Wasn't Maxima the one that wanted to have Superman's babies? Yeah, basically she was from an alien race where they were, like, super powerful... And super, like, physically impressive. And her whole thing was she came to Earth because she wanted Superman to father a child with her so that they could have the perfect babies. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was I wish I were was... Superman. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking at this Universa. It's... Uh, I... I... I guess I could see some uh, Valkyrie type of vibes coming from her or some sort of Asgardian vibes. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's more of like a, a Kirby kind of design, but maybe a, a Kirby design filtered through the lens of Walter Simonson. I don't know. Yeah. That was just kind of the vibe I got from her. Yeah. She seems like a pretty uh, fun design, uh, a cool character, so... I hope we see her again. I, I can't remember if she shows up in the future volumes. I do remember that we definitely see more Dinosaurus, so that's good. <laughs> the staff. The staff she has is pretty cool. Yeah, the effect in the coloring that they used to show the beams coming out, that was an interesting effect because it, it didn't look... I don't it's know. There was purpley. just something about it that made it look like one of those... It looked like how... uh kind of reminded me of... When you look at one of those 3D comics, but you don't have the 3D glasses. Yeah, that that weird doubling effect. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. what it's called in a technical sense, but that doubling effect. It's it's a pretty cool effect for a laser blast. I don't think uh, we've seen that in Invincible so far. So that when we saw it used with her uh, weapon, kind of make it kind of made her stand out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun short story. I I do feel like they probably will bring her back because uh, the way that they talked about her at the beginning of that story did they it did make it feel like they were building her up for something bigger because mm-hmm. they were talking about her as a pretty major threat. So and and they were talking about it in in the past tense. So it sounds like almost as if they have future knowledge of her having more involvement down the road, you know? That's true. Yeah. And also I think after Eve knocked her out, didn't Cecil take her? So if Cecil took her, who knows what, well, what he'll do with her. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the other revelations in this year's, uh in this year's volumes of invincible include we finally see who the leader of the viltrumites are 
it's yeah it's really short it's just like one page really and you don't really get too much um information about the guy but suffice it to say he just looks like another viltramite he's got a honest. mustache yeah he's <laughs> he has the same look that all of them have <laughs> yeah uh it's funny to think of a society where everybody, every every man has a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's their look. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was another funny thing I saw in the extras in the hardcover. But you know that first issue where during the Invincible War, where there's a, a double page spread where you see a bunch of the different Invincibles. Just, they're just kind of floating in the air after they've, you know, conquered a city or, you know, dis- destroyed something. Yeah. And there, there's a scene where the the Mohawk Invincible is floating. And in the background, you see the Statue of Liberty and the Statue of Liberty is all messed up. But the way that Ryan Otley originally drew it, the, t- the torch was stuck up the statue's butt. <laughs> <laughs> but he wow. said that Kirkman saw that and he told him to change it or to get rid of that <laughs> but I thought it would have been but he, but oddly in the commentary he said he thought it would have made sense because the, the Mohawk Invincible is more looks more like a punk so that seems like something a rebel punk kind of person would do He's you know shove, an anarchist. shove the yeah yeah exactly <laughs> just, just shove the torch up the Statue of Liberty's butt I wonder what Kirkman, like how Kirkman said it. Yeah. Or how he put it. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall during that conversation. Exactly. Because exactly. if you look at that panel the way it is in the final product, you do see that the number one, the torch is missing from the Statue of Liberty's hand, and there's a crack where her butt is. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Any final thoughts on. Volumes twelve and thirteen of Invincible, Albert. No, I, I I'm pretty content with what we've talked about. Uh, I feel like we I feel like we covered most, if not all, the major beats. You mm-hmm. you got any we, other thoughts? Nope. That was a good couple more volumes of Invincible. Definitely looking forward to next month's adventures as we continue our dive into it. Next week, we are gonna do an episode where we discuss a variety of Black Widow comics. I don't know if I would say that they're going to be the evergreen Black Widow comics, but with the movie coming out pretty soon, figured it'd be a good time to review the Black Widow comics that we do have or that we do enjoy. Maybe even read a couple that we haven't read before, just so we'll uh, yeah, have some pre-movie hype. Sounds good to me. All right, everybody. This is Between the Gutters. Thanks for listening. If you guys want to ever hit us up, look us up on Instagram or email us at betweenthegutterspodcast at gmail.com. We definitely pay attention to whatever comments we get. And if you uh, want to ask us a question or whatever, just shoot the breeze. Just hit us up. All right. That's it for this episode. Peace out, everybody. Peace out, guys.
Albert. What's up? What were the best early 90s image comics? Oof. Ooh. Are we talking about personal preference or just uh, objectively best? Ooh, good distinction. Let's 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 do both, man. What what what's your favorite one, <laughs> and what do you think is objectively the best? Oh man. Okay. Let's see. Uh, I think. Okay, if I had to say objectively, I would probably say either the Savage Dragon or the Max. I would say oh, okay. those two were, are probably the best in terms of quality, objectively speaking. Uh, I think Savage Dragon is as good as the Max? I think the art's good. I don't know if it's creatively as good Um I don't think Eric Larson was striving for anything artistic. He was just having fun. Yeah. He was just having fun. Yeah. So on those grounds, in terms of um, the creativity of his designs and just the dynamism, dynamism, I don't know what the word would be, the the dynamics or the dynamism of like just the storytelling i think i think savage dragon is definitely peak quality in those in terms of those things right mm-hmm. um but the max i'd probably i'd say the max is probably something that's more uh thought provoking mm-hmm. you know i've actually never read the max but i've always wanted to read it yeah. Would you say that the Max's writing was on a level above all of the other Image comics at the time? Oh, uh, I mean, the thing is, I I haven't read all of it either. Like, I'm still collecting the series right now as we speak. It's it's on my list, but mm-hmm. it's I don't know. I I have a feeling that it's one of those things where someone could look at that. And I can see if someone looked at it and said it was being pretentious, I could see that. But I think I think Sam Keith was genuinely trying to do something beyond a typical superhero comic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, he yeah. didn't want to just do Al Simmons going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Making a deal with the devil and becoming a demon fighter, you know? Yeah, yeah. He was so, more ambitious than that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah, the, like just from the couple of pages that I read and 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 I'll admit a lot of my perception of it is based on the cartoon that I watched uh, that was based on, on the Max. It's a... Uh, it's the kind of thing where when once I'm once I'm once I was done watching the show, I could definitely sit there and ponder it well after I had watched it just to try to understand what it was that I just watched. And yeah, I I'm kinda of curious to see if that 
experience translates in the comics, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I guess if we're talking on a personal note, uh, I would still say Savage Dragon and the Max would probably be a personal, would be the ones that make it for my personal preference as well. But oh, okay, not Shadowhawk. And then I was going to say, in addition to that, probably Shadowhawk. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, I've, I've re-looked at some of those old Jim Valentino uh, Shadowhawks, and um, his art didn't really age too well. I will say that much. <laughs> Did any of those guys' art age too well? Sam Keith? Like, oh, that's true. That's true. Like I think he's still pretty talented. Um, yeah, Sam Keith's art has probably aged the best out of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm hard-pressed to say that I can pick any of the other image stuff that would... Uh... So you weren't even into Spawn or Youngblood when you were a kid? Or Wildcats? Uh, I was... I, I, I collected Spawn. I'll, I'll say that much. I collected Spawn. How many issues, man? How 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 long did you buy it? Uh, I didn't collect consecutive issues, but <laughs> what I did do was I was tracking down, um, the first appearances of all his villains. So <laughs> the key collector of the key issues. Well, I think I was just into some of, some of his villain designs. So I was like, oh man, I'm going to like overkill. Yeah, overt kill. Overt kill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh let's see. Redeemer and uh oh man. The curse. Uh ah oh, jeez. <laughs> you got all these key issues. Uh I'm pretty sure I got rid of them already because I just realized that it was kind of dumb to hold on to these. <laughs> <laughs> But who knows? They might be worth something now. <laughs> now that Spawn Universe is happening. That's true. I think Spawn Universe number one just came out. Uh, you gonna get it? No. You gonna no. borrow it from the library when it when it uh, gets collected in trade? I well, I was gonna ask this. I don't even know what the status. So. Is Spawn Universe happening concurrently with the actual ongoing Spawn series? Is there an actual ongoing Spawn series still? Yeah, there is still an ongoing Spawn series, and it's one of the longest-running uh, creator-owned series out there, man. Can it's T-Mac. It? It's T-Mac. Yeah, so. I mean, he doesn't... He, he didn't. It's not like he wrote and drew every single issue of it, but technically speaking, for creator-owned series, I, I think... I think it's surpassed Cerebus by now because it, it's over 300 issues, right? I don't even know. I'm like, pretty sure it's they're in like the. It's been know, around for ages. They probably they're probably in like the 330s or something by now. I, I can't remember. I don't really is he, care. Is he keeping the original numbering? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I think Spawn Universe is a new series. It still spins out of the Spawn ongoing series. Yeah. So. If you are for people that currently read Spawn, I'm pretty sure Spawn Universe number one is something that they're just naturally gonna want to eat up. 
But for those of us who have no interest in Spawn and don't read Spawn and never planned to read any Spawn, <laughs> I don't think Spawn Universe number one will change our minds. Uh, I will say this. Uh, I guess I'm kind of curious to see Jim Chung's artwork. Yeah, I saw samples of his pages from the issue, uh, just reading reviews of stuff, uh, reading reviews of that people have written about it. Um, and I don't think it's his best work, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I usually like his work. Yeah, same here. Especially uh, since the mid-2000s, like right around the time... Like, right around the time when he was working at CrossGen, I yeah. forget what title it was on. Was it Scion, Scion. or Sigil? Scion, Scion, yeah. Like, his stuff in Scion looked pretty good. Yeah. And then when he went back to Marvel with Young Avengers and stuff like that, I thought it looked pretty good. Yeah. But I kind of wish... I kind of wish they had put him on Shang-Chi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he would have been better than the dude that did end up drawing it for the Jin Yang miniseries. Yeah. They uh they got him to do some of the covers and that got my hopes up, but yeah, the inside yeah. one is good. He was I don't even remember that other dude's name, Dwan Rip or something like that. Uh, uh I want to say it was Dykeruan, but I could Dykeruan. You're right. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, but that dude is that person's not very good. <laughs> I hope his mother's not listening to us. <laughs> I feel bad. I want an apology <laughs> <laughs> from his parents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How dare you saddle us with this art? <laughs> um, I was also yeah. going to say about us, uh, Jim Chung stuff in Spawn Universe. I don't remember who's inking his stuff. But I thought it didn't look good because it might have been one of those situations where he was trying to draw in a style that was reminiscent of T-Mac. I got, yeah. I, that I those, I got that was definitely the vibe too. I got from looking at it. And that's not a good look on his art. It's not. It's not. Yeah, I like it when his art looks cleaner like than his that. art. Yeah, like his art. Yeah, yeah. It looks like him trying to draw in a in a T-Mac. Todd McFarlane kind of style, totally, where things totally. are really uh, overly hatched and there's a lot of lines everywhere. It it just looks weird to me. Yeah, coming from him. Do you think Spawn Universe is going to realize or actualize Todd McFarlane's vision for a shared? Spawniverse? I think so. I think it will. Really? I have no doubt it will. Huh. But that's because his vision is nasty. <laughs> what he wants for Spawn may very well be actualized in his new line of Spawn Universe comics, but. I'm pretty confident that all of what he envisions and has planned for the future is nothing I want to be a part of. (laughs) Yeah, it's a 
future I could do without. Yeah. Yeah, that that the the world the future where Spawn Universe becomes a massive resounding success and the Spawn Cinematic Universe becomes the new big thing. That's that's my post-apocalyptic future. <laughs> <laughs> the future bereft of creativity and quality art. <laughs> <laughs> that's our days of future past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I'd be so awful. <laughs>